If you're enjoying today's podcast, please join Father James Martin and Jamie Marisotis for a discussion on human work, spirituality, and empathy during their virtual live event, Finding Spiritual Meaning in Human Work, on February 14th. Sign up at luminafoundation.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Yes, in February, the best month. Not the cruelest month. <laughs> no, the, the worst. <laughs> no, I, um, it's a good month for me. My birthday, my wife's birthday, we got Valentine's Day, which is the reason we're, we're gathered today is to celebrate uh, some, some Catholic love this week on the show. We sure are. We're talking with Paul and Maureen Moses, who were the coordinators of your Catholic Engaged Encounter Retreat. Yes, so they did, they did Amanda and I's marriage prep, which was, I, I, I became very endeared to them. This, I'm still married, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were talking about this, you know, what we wanted to do for the show this week, it comes up a lot. I feel like marriage prep is a very polarizing mm-hmm. conversation because I've heard a lot of horror stories about how it's gone terribly for some couples. But I've also heard really great things and people like me and Amanda who've had really wonderful experiences often that people are surprised by. Uh, so I wanted to show people an example of a couple that does this really well. Yes, and who does marriage very well. They are adorable. They've been married for 45 years, two kids, three grandchildren, and it was just such a delight to talk with them yes, together. Yes, they are very clearly still in love. So yes. that's a great that's a great conversation coming up. Yes, and we're also talking to Jim Martin during our Signs of the Times segment about the release of the paperback edition of his book, Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone. And then during As One Friend Speaks to Another, uh, we're doing the audio edition of Learning to Pray. We, we've got a we've got a we're special... outsourcing our faith sharing this week. Yes, but we've got uh, we've got a treat because this is an excerpt from the audiobook of Learning to Pray. And I mean, Jim Martin is one of the masters of faith sharing, so we just turned the mics over to him this week. So stick around for that. Yes, and we will be doing all of that over some red wine. Yes, could you please tell me about this red wine that you got? Because yes. I think it's a fascinating story. Yes. So this past weekend, I had a girls' weekend with my sister uh, and my niece. We went to Amish country outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, stayed in a little Airbnb and just explored explored the town. And there was a, a wine shop where they had a local winery from the Waltz family. And so I picked up their Rock Red. It's a semi-sweet red blend, which I thought was appropriate for Valentine's Day. I think so, too. So cheers to yes. um, there was wine at the wedding at Cana and wine on this podcast. <laughs> All right. But before we get to all of that, we have a few words about our sponsor this week. Staying on the Valentine's Day theme, this week we checked out a new course on Wondrium called Building Love That Lasts. Yes, I was very interested in this because uh, one of the things that Paul and Maureen say on their Engage Encounter Retreat, like a wedding is a day, but a marriage is a lifetime. So it does take work to build a relationship and a partnership that that really lasts. And there's a lot of terrible advice out there. Uh, y- y- and not a lot of it's backed up by data or science. Um, and so I was curious because I know Wondrium has some, you know, really like top class professionals 
schools and professors and teachers and guides. They've got to have something on this. And I was delighted to find out they do. Yes. And it is also a married couple. They are two um, uh, psychologists who specialize in positive psychology. And in this course, they draw on both you know, ancient philosophical wisdom about love and modern science about you know, what it really takes uh, to keep a romantic relationship going. Yeah, I was really getting a lot out of this. I just started it, but um, I think I'm going to br- show Amanda this because we, you know, we like doing these things, talking about it, how it applies to our relationship. Um, and that this is just one of the many things I love about Wondering because you can learn through engaging video and audio learning experiences. You know, they've got these interactive how-to guides, documentaries, and by, as I said earlier, these teachers, professors, and experts who will inspire you and remind you that learning something is fun and exciting. Yes, and we want you to share in this learning by signing up for Wondrium today. Wondrium is offering our listeners a special free 22-day trial membership to celebrate the new year. Yeah, and to get this offer, you need to visit wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Again, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. And get your learning on today. And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Though this week we have something a little bit different. No, no, no. This is the biggest Catholic news um, (laughs) this month, I think. Uh, We're we're proud to welcome our colleague and friend back on the show, Father James Martin, whose book, Learning to Pray, has been published in paperback. So, Jim, welcome back to the show, and congrats again on your pub day. Yes, congrats. Thank you, guys, and congrats to you on your fifth anniversary. Thank oh, you. Yeah, thank we're you. we're celebrating uh, all year long, so <laughs> uh, there will be many more opportunities for that. I feel like you're you as you write longer books, I get more and more grateful when they come out in paperback. I'm not going to lie to you, yeah. <laughs> because they're much easier to carry on the subway. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that way about Jesus Pilgrimage too. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I when I was holding the the new uh, Learning to Pray, I was like, oh, this is this is really nice. This is good stuff. Yeah, and um, they're also much cheaper, which is nice too. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So we we talked to you about that book when it came out. I guess it was last February Mm -hmm. we we talked to you. So if folks want to go back and listen to that, they will get a a fuller picture of everything that's in the book. But we wanted to talk to you today about an excerpt that we published at America where you talk about the phenomenon of hearing God's voice in prayer, which one, can you just like explain what that meat like is? Like, what is it? feel like or sound like. Who, who does God sound most like? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Morgan Ash- Freeman. Ashley or Zach, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and Ashley or Zach, after drinking or before drinking yeah. on the show? Yes. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's part of the book that talks about what happens in prayer, which is, I think, one of the most misunderstood and, you know, unfortunately mysterious parts of the spiritual life. And people really don't know what to expect when they close their eyes, right? What What is supposed to actually happen? And I certainly didn't know when I entered the Jesuits. And so I wanted to be really clear in the book. And one of the things that comes up for quite a few people, not all the time, are words and phrases. And so you might be praying over a gospel story, or you might just be imagining yourself with Jesus, and a word or a phrase pops into your mind. Now, that doesn't mean you actually hear words, right? Now, some people have, right, the saints, and I've actually met a few people who have, but it's very rare nor do you have visions, nor do you see sort of the words in your mind. You know, it's like remembering the lyrics to a song, right, or a poem uh, or something that someone said to you. It comes to your mind. But it does have that quality of being, you know, sort of coming from outside, not something that you manufactured. And so, you know, it's, it's one kind of spiritual experience. And I wanted to talk about the ways that we can discern whether or not they are really coming from God, because not everything that pops into your mind, <laughs> right. every word or phrase that pops into your mind is coming from God. 
Right. You could you contrast it with sort of like your own ego and your own like which as I was reading these tips for like figuring out if it's from God, I was like, oh great, my ego is going to co-op these tips and it's just <laughs> going to like disguise itself better as coming from God before. But like, what's an example? Like, so if you're like trying to uh, ask God about a big decision you have to make, do you need to wait until you hear? a clear resounding voice. Cause my, my sense is that this is actually kind of rare. If you, you know, if you're a regularly praying person, this isn't going to happen all the time. It doesn't. And I would say Zach, that, you know, if you're discerning something, it, it may not be a, a a word or a phrase. It may be a feeling. It may be a memory. It may be a desire. So when you're discerning, you have to be really careful that it's just not like, Oh, is that a yes? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what I mean, um, I'll, I'll tell you a, a brief story. Um, that's not in the book, uh, and I'll keep it short. A, a friend of mine was praying about what he wanted to do for the rest of his Jesuit life. And he was in, uh, France and, uh, went to the cathedral of Chartres to basically, you know, have like a little mini pilgrimage. And he sat down and he was looking for, you know, kind of career advice, meaning I should teach in this school. I should teach in that school. And he sat down under the stained glass windows and he said to God, what do you want me to do? And, you know, not expecting anything in terms of, you know, word or phrase. And he said immediately into his mind came the words, feed my sheep. Right. And he didn't hear them, but he, he sort of felt them and intuited them. And he thought that just makes sense. Right. And so, um, you know, you'd be hard pressed to say that's not coming from God. I mean, some of the, some of the sort of guidelines I have are, does it make sense? Does it fit with what we know about God? Does it make sense with your own situation? Does it lead to an increase in love and faith and charity? Does it sound like something God would say? Um, is it lasting? Is it important? And it, th- so those are the guidelines that, that seem to help. But again, you know, if he was sitting down and the words, you know, McDonald's came into his mind, it doesn't mean that God <laughs> wants him to work at McDonald's or get a hamburger right now. So it it's, mean a lot hungry, of it's discernment. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? It might mean he's just hungry. Exa- right. Well, exactly. It could be a distraction. But we have to take seriously the fact that these things do happen to people. And, you know, it's important to discern uh, to help us see, you know, the ways that God has of communicating with us. Yeah. So, so you have these signs that it could be God's voice. What's the risk of, I don't know, like if people are now like going into prayer being like, okay, looking for God's voice, what's what's the risk there of, of approaching it that way? Well, actually just that, that you yeah. would that you would sort of expect it, just as you're saying, you would expect it. And if you don't get it, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, you feel like you've failed. Um, for, for many people, they never have this experience, like ever. And, and it's mainly images and memories and emotions and feeling, and that's fine, right? But from time to time, it does come up. You know, my mother told me uh, a couple of years ago that she was sort of looking out the window and said to God, uh, do you love me, God? And the words more than you can know came into her mind. And she said, what do you think that is? And I said, well, that seems, you know, it seems pretty clear. It's also something God would say. So, you know, it's not something to expect. I think one of the reasons I put it in the book was because people tend not to know what to do with it when it comes up. Right. So it's just one of many types of fruits of prayer. I was struck by the and this sounds right to me, the the idea that it's probably going to be something short. Yeah. Right. You're not going to get a dissertation from God or a lengthy discourse. <laughs> um, it's usually going to be something that, you know, gets in your head and, and it stays there and it's memorable. Um, why do you think that is? Why isn't God just like going to lay out the entire plan for me? Well, you know, Zach, I think part of it is you talked about the ego and the ego kind of co-opting. I, at least in my own life, and I put this in the book, in my own life, when those things have happened to me, which is pretty rare, Right. I'm so sort of conscious of it that my ego sort of gets in the way and takes over. It's almost like God has to come in really quickly while you're not, you know, in a sense, paying Sneak attention. Sneak attack you. With, kind with, of, yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you this past year on retreat in the summertime, I had an experience like that. I was thinking about like different problems in my life. The, the words that came into my mind, which, which I'd not, I wouldn't have put it this way, were you can handle it. 
it just <laughs> popped into my mind. And it was while I was having a conversation with Jesus, you know, imaginatively. And that was that. It wasn't like you can handle it and hear the 12 steps, you know, that you need <laughs> to do. Because I think you're so, you know, look, we're so self-conscious and we are aware of when that happens. I think, you know, our ego takes over and we're like, okay, what's next? So I think God has to kind of come in and, and leave. Also, look, most of Jesus's sayings are very aphoristic and short, you know, fear not, right? Peace be with you. I mean, it's, so it also has the quality of God's voice. At least that's how I experience it. And another one of the signs you give is that you mentioned they leave a mark. I'm wondering what kind of the, what mark these experiences have left on you through throughout your life. Well, so you can handle it, um, has been with me for the last uh, couple of months, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've talked about this before when I was uh, on a retreat a couple of years ago, uh, and I said to Jesus about the rejection at Nazareth, the story where he's, you know, rejected by his hometown. I basically said to him in prayer, uh, how could you handle this? And the words that came into my mind were, must everybody like you? Now I've been thinking about that for seven years, seven or eight <laughs> years. And my friend, you know, who had that experience about, um, feed my sheep, that really, it just stuck with him. And I think, you know, to Zach's earlier point, you know, when God kind of jumps in like that, it's, it's really noticeable. And I think part of it is you really pay attention, especially if you have a good spiritual director who says, yeah, that th I think that's authentic. I think that's really authentic. And, and I've said that to people in their prayer as well. You know, when they come to me about prayer, it, it makes a mark in a sense, because when you recognize it as God's voice, you, you know, you pay attention. All right. The book is Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone. It's out in paperback. We're going to be uh, teasing it a little bit more. We've got some fun giveaways coming up on the show. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for, for coming on. Anything else you want to plug or promote? Uh, just Jesuitical and uh, <laughs> Perfect. Your, your five-year anniversary and your big trip coming up too. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We're very excited about that trip to Italy. All right. Well, Jim, thanks so much for coming back on the show. My yeah. pleasure. Thanks, Thank you both. Joining us from Southern Brooklyn are Paul and Maureen Moses. Paul and Maureen are coordinators of Catholic Engaged Encounter in Brooklyn and Queens. Welcome to Jesuitical, Paul and Maureen. It's good to be with you. Thanks. And good to see you again. Uh, I, I did update you before we started, but I am still married. So so thank you to both of you for the prep work. It's it's it's, it's got The runway seems very long, so I'm very grateful. So Zach, you, you went through Engage Encounter with Paul. And I Maureen. did. I did. When was so that? This was two years ago now. Uh, so I think we did in 2019. It was before the pandemic. I was very excited when we were talking about this topic. I was like, I know the perfect people to bring on to talk about marriage prep. Uh, thank you. So thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. For people who don't know, could you maybe just give a quick rundown of you know what is Engaged Encounter Ministry and and how did you two first get involved? Yeah, it Engaged Encounter uh, Catholic Engaged Encounter goes back to the to the nineteen seventies and it's a lay movement you know working in cooperation with with uh, clergy and diocese to help couples prepare for marriage better. It's typically a retreat, so it's in that kind of sleep away format. Usually, it's also online during COVID. We, we try to get the couples to just talk to each other about a lot of significant things that they'll deal with in their marriage. So, so it's a weekend long uh, program of, uh, of discussion uh, between the couples um, about certain themes such as communication, marriage as a sacrament, things like that. 
You mentioned it's a lay-led movement. Um, I know some priests get offended when they, you know, when people say, "Oh, like, what can I learn from a priest about marriage?" Like they're they're celibate, and they're they reply, you know, we came from families too. Um, but obviously, there is there is some, you know, lay lay couples are going to give a, a different perspective than you would get from a priest in in marriage prep. So, what what does what's the importance of having lay people minister to lay people in this way? I mean, it's, it's personal experience. We, I mean, we do it in coordination with the priest usually on, on the weekend. And it's actually interesting to see the two vocations discussed side by side. But no, I think this is really an area where it makes sense to have uh, lay people try to take the lead. And how many couples do you think you've prepared for marriage to, to date? Just just know. guesstimate, you know. I, I, can, I can look it up on the spreadsheet, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh uh, let's see. Well, for two, we usually did two weekends, two or three a year, and, and generally about ten couples, maybe 10, twelve. So sometimes more, sometimes I less. don't know, hundreds. Zach. <laughs> hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. That's that's well, that's perfect. That's what I'm looking for. So you've prepared all these couples. So I'm sure you've seen all kinds of different relationships. If someone's listening right now and thinking, you know, I, you know, I really don't need a marriage prep retreat. Like I think it's just going to be a weird weekend where they're going to talk to me about birth control. Um, <laughs> what's your pitch for sending couples on a, a retreat like this? Yeah, I think every couple really needs to to have that time set aside to talk to each other. Some couples have talked to these things through more than others, but even couples who've talked about talked a lot will come away from the weekend saying, you know, we went deeper. Yeah, most times that's what couples say. And if it's really important to them that their marriage is forever, that is a reason to really want to do an engaged encounter, you know, because you have to do the work. And if you don't do the work, then you're not going to get out of it, like with anything. Maureen, what what got you interested in doing this kind of ministry as a couple? How this happened was our our pastor at the time asked us if we would do this program that they had in the diocese to uh, learn about the different marriage prep programs. And we met on a retreat ourselves. That's how we met each other. That's the beginning of our story. <laughs> you know, being able to do an en- engaged encounter has really nourished our marriage. It's It's been really good. I'm wondering what uh, what are some of the topics that come up? Because I, w- I, I myself was surprised by this. I, I'll admit I suffer from a bit of pride. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I have a theology degree. I work for a Catholic magazine. What the heck am I going to learn? on a retreat like this. Um, and I was stunned to find out quite a bit because I, I, I thought the things we ended up talking about were very different than what I had imagined going in. Well, that's interesting. I feel like I should interview you about that, uh, Zach. <laughs> but um, but uh, I mean, some of the, the topics are, first of all, you knowing your values. You know, what do I really value? And, and then what are our values as a couple? That's something that that needs to be discussed because the values are things that are really important to you. They don't have to be religious values, so to speak, right? Well, these are values that, that that's one of the topics to think about is the real role of religious faith in your life. And, and even when people practice the same religion, they may practice it in, in very different ways. And what, what kind of questions would you ask a couple with either different religions or mixed 
uh, degrees of involvement in faith to to think about and 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 chew on in it. Yeah, I saw that on the website for the weekend. Um, it, it said you have about a third of couples are are interfaith that attend this. Yeah. Yes. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I I mean I think it has um a, a lot to do with how you were brought up with your your faith or your lack of faith, and then where you are at 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 this point when you are going to be getting married and uh it it's it's really important you know what do you want your children to experience about faith you know what's what's uh what's going to happen are we going to bring our kids up catholic are we going to bring them up jewish are we going to bring them up nothing are we going to let them choose but we're not there to, you know, convert anybody. That's not, you know, we say that at the outset because we want everybody to, to feel comfortable. Um, what we do want the couples to do is to talk about this and to understand how it shapes each of them and what it means to them together. That That's what's uh, important about it. I guess that brings the other great, one of the other great themes is communication. Oh, yeah. Communication. Yeah. What would you say is uh, the importance of communication? In, in in a marriage, if I could just like throw out a giant topic yeah. like that. <laughs> no, I mean communication is like amazingly important, and um, so many you know couples uh, really think that they they've got it. But in marriage, you go through uh, periods of time when you forget to talk to each other, and it's really important that that you do you talk you continue to talk and. The engaged encounter gives a model for how to continue that in your life. You know, wonder if we get some practical tips for good communication in a relationship, especially if things you feel like things are are, are not so good. Uh, what are some go tos? Well, good listening first, both what's said and you know nonverbal cues. I, I think is important. I guess not bringing up past history. You know, like if you're arguing about one thing, you know, don't drag in many other arguments. Uh, Which is very easy to do. Yeah. Um, Even when you're smart. <laughs> yeah. And uh, don't bring in third parties, you know. Uh, well, my brother says that you, da, 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 you know. My um, mother. Yeah. My mother. I was trying to spare the mothers on that. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm a mother, so I, they, I get that. They always take the blame, so. <laughs> no, they do. I would even say like just acknowledging that you're separating from each other, that you are not really talking the way you do when you talk to each other lovingly, that you both notice it or one of you notices it and and brings it up. That makes a difference. I also think being polite to each other yeah. is like, Please, thank you. Oh, that was such a wonderful dinner. I say that a lot because Paul does the cooking. <laughs> um, is is like a very Im- important, valuable tool in marriage, and just being kind and loving. You know, like you look so handsome today, honey. Thank you. So do you. Handsome. <laughs> I re- <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, darling. There That's what I wanted to hear. No, I resonate with that a lot. I remember one time uh, while we were uh, courting one another, Amanda mentioned to me that uh, she she made the observation that uh, you don't argue with me the way you argue with other people um, because I, as like a 
talking head in media and a philosophy major. I'm a pretty annoying person at dinner parties. Um, and I realized I was like, well, I think that's a good thing because typically in those conversations, I'm trying to win, right? I'm trying to convince and like shifting the mindset of when you're arguing to win versus arguing to like solve or like come to get like in, you know, also having this idea going in with an idea, there's no exit ramp, right? You can't just like all of a sudden one day decide to like, all right, I I, I quit. I'm, I'm done with this argument. I'm going to go over here and like do my own thing. You can do that for, I think, a time, a short time. But like, I think your mindset just like fundamentally changes. And that's part of, I think, the grace of the sacrament. Mm-hmm. I There's just one piece of advice I'd love to get your take on because I think it's terrible. But people always say, um, you know, never go to bed angry, which I think oh. is just um, even the Pope has said that, which I feel like is I've always thought is lousy marriage advice. But what, what what's your take? You can be mad at each other and just be cherishing the anger <laughs> so that it's good to just go to sleep with it and then wake up in the next morning and be able to work it through. Yeah. Because if you decide that you're going to fix something that needs a lot of work, it might you might not have time and both of you need to sleep. Oh, my goodness. Another big theme is love is not a feeling. We all, you know, we're kind of brought up to think of it that way, but it's a decision you make, decision to love. So every marriage goes through, you know, ups and downs, you know, romance, disillusion, uh, back and forth, back and forth. And what keeps it together is really making a decision to, to love each other. You may not feel it, but making a decision to love is, is a big theme. Of, uh, of what we talk about and, and you know a good takeaway for us too from you know when you do these like any kind of volunteer work you know it helps you more than anybody else and that's the case with this too so looking at my own parents well first my, my parents also uh did this ministry not in a retreat set, setting um but people couples would come to our house i remember in high school like eavesdropping mm-hmm. on people's conversations okay. with my parents <laughs> And that must have been being, interesting. It was. And, and I will say, I think they're both accountants. So I, what I remember most is them talking about the need to communicate about money and finances among couples. So it was very practical, practical things that they would talk about. Um, and then along those lines, you know, you mentioned, you know, you know, love is not just about romance. And I think one thing I've noticed in their marriage is things that I would think of as kind of like unromantic like making lists about like here are our values here is like what we want to do in retirement or like here's when we are going to schedule time to talk about this and like kind of having it regimented from you know as a young person it looks very unromantic but what 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 do you see as the value of kind of like making those plans to in in a marriage you know i think it probably it's it's all depends on what works for for the couple you know and and from what you say i don't you know um, flying blind here, but if maybe if they're uh, uh, like kind of orderly world of accounting, it, it, it's, it works for both of them to, uh, to, to do it in that way. Uh, they're communicating and, and, and that, that's good. And, and sometimes you do have to sit down and really look at your time and ask whether it reflects you know, your values, uh, your values as a couple. I mean, I think that's one of the things that happened with COVID is everybody sat down and started looking at their values. And we're just seeing great changes on account of it. More time together, you know? Yeah. I'm sure you've heard horror stories about uh, marriage prep in the church, like just going terrible for people. 
Um, and I, 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 it always like breaks my heart when I'll be talking to friends that, um, their experiences, you know, these are just like hoops to jump through and they have like, you know, a, a very awkward, like, 20 minute conversation with the priest they don't really know every week for six weeks or whatever and that's like their experience i'm wondering what what do you think that this uh engaged encounter does particularly well or that you know your your style of running this retreat bubbles down on that maybe if uh other people were looking for options in how to prepare for their marriage they could they could seek some of these out i mean to me the retreat format means so much uh that it's a prayerful you know, atmosphere. And even, like I said, we're not there to convert people, but, you know, I think you do get that sense that, you know, God is part of your marriage. That That's also a big part of this. I think just to pick up on that for a second, like, I feel like when it's just like a meeting that you have to do, like uh, on a schedule, it just becomes like another thing in the wedding planning. Like, it's just like, because there's so much that kill happens. Me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing about working with engaged couples is you you see what enormous pressure they're under as they try to plan their wedding and plan their lives and sometimes finish up school and and hoping to get a, a, a promotion or a new job. It's it's uh, they're under a lot of pressure. Um, you can see that. So I I do think it's it's really good just to to get away. And people who've been on retreats will understand that right away. Um, but not everybody's had that opportunity. Yeah. No, we ask them to turn their phones off, leave life behind, because this is about you as a couple. This is about your life forever. This is not about, you know, all that other junk that's been driving you crazy. It's about your life together, your whole life, you know? Wow. And it really is like uh, time with you and your to-be spouse, right? I, I was very anxious that I was going to be in a lot of small group circles talking about my my personal life with strangers um, and was very delighted to find out that was not the case. I'm wondering what, what kind of you've found to be the most, um, maybe, I don't know if provocative is the right word, but the question or theme that um, tends to cause the most discussion for for couples on these on these retreats for some couples it's money Ooh, yeah <laughs> and it just depends i mean you have couples that one of them comes from a lot of wealth and there's a lot of money and their parents are on their case about you know having a prenup prenup oh. <laughs> you yeah. know which seems to be very different yeah. from what the catholic church teaches but at the same time, everybody's different, so they've got to talk about it, though, and that's that's the real bottom yeah. line. They're all different. Yeah. How many checking accounts? They have to have their own everything. Some of them want everything together. It's different. Yeah. And uh, in laws also in laws is a big is a big topic uh, that you can see is couples have to talk about and and friends. Can I? Can I still hang out with my friends? These are all things that's good that to think about them and and talk about them. It, it's crazy, you know the the question of you know what's your idea of a big purchase is. <sighs> everyone has a different answer to that, and right. if you've <laughs> never you know talked about that with your your spouse, uh, you might you might think you've had conversations about money, and you really you really haven't until you kind of take some time away and be, you know reflect on like the way that 
you were raised with money and it, 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 I can't speak highly enough about like how important that is. And I think that's why so many uh, non-Catholics get so much out of uh, an environment like this, because these are sort of like brass tacks, like uh, dinner table issues that you're going to have to like develop a, a toolkit to, to, to deal with as your marriage goes on. Right. That's, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned in-laws and how they can sometimes uh, cause tension. <laughs> um, and a couple of weeks on the show, we, we discussed this um, Ask Amy like advice column where uh, a mother was very upset that her she was a conservative Christian and her son was marrying a Catholic who wasn't all that involved in the church, but that the Catholic's mom or parents wanted a Catholic wedding and, and the Christian mom was very against this. And since she was paying for the wedding, she uh, thought she had the right to, to just dictate where they were going to get married. So I'm wondering, uh, what's your, what's your advice to, to uh, engage couples for, for approaching questions like that and, and dealing with, uh, uh, overreaching in-laws and then maybe your advice to overreaching in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing we say at the beginning of the weekend is we're not counselors. Um, you know, we have no expertise uh, to to really um, advise people. So, what we would really seek would be for the couple to recognize it and and discuss it. And we we have a whole process we outline for making decisions in life um, mutually. But I would also say that the couple needs to be united in whatever decision they mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. That it's not you know, off the cuff kind of thing that they really are united together as opposed to the woman listening to her mother in her ear saying, it has to be my way. <laughs> you know, it, it's got to be their way. It has to be their way and yeah. they have to be united together in it. And if they can't do that, that scares me. I, I think it's one of the difficult uh, adjustments to married life is getting used to the idea of making decisions as a couple. Right. Especially if you know, we married pretty young and it was still not easy. Yeah, um, teenagers. You know, your first <laughs> inclination, <laughs> not quite teenagers, no. no. But your first inclination is uh, somebody asks you, can you go here or there? You know, yeah, I can do it. I'll see you then. Mm. And all of a sudden, no. I think, no, we, we, we got to make couple decisions as a couple. And, and it's a fabulous and thing to do, I, too. I guess if you're marrying a little older than we did and you've been out working in the world and, you know, it's probably even harder. Right. Uh, yeah, um, I was going to I was going to say now that people are tending to get married later like i you know i'm not married and i'm in my 30s and when you've you know lived by yourself for a decade and developed your own routines and habits like i imagine are are you seeing that in in these encounters that what when people are getting married um o- o- older or later I, that i guess typically a little, in their 30s right our yeah. kids were in, in their, their 30s, 30s. And, they were all and and uh, and the couples on the weekend are mostly in their in their 30s right i would say right i mean and we've had couples 40 50 60 you know you see that. and young too young and, and then yeah sometimes very young all right so what uh advice do you have for couples after they're married right um both like so for couples and the church what should they be doing and what should the church be doing to support one another well i would definitely say Praying together is like an extremely valuable tool. Just for the the basic, like saying grace before meals is a wonderful thing to do. 
but for praying for what is important in your life together and just your life, you know, what's going on with work, what's happening in the family, who's sick, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, we would really encourage it and every couple to, you know, just take each other's hand and, and, and be able to pray with each other. Uh, it's a very intimate part of your life, and, and it's good to, to share that. What do you think the church should be doing uh, to support married couples? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it, it doesn't seem like there's much um, going on. Mainly, the church seems to get involved when it's, a marriage is breaking up. You know, uh, uh, and there's an annulment process, and we have a, a whole, you know, world of things set up there. But uh, it's hard to say because, like, I can see from the perspective of someone single feeling that well, all all they cater to is families with children at church. You know, so I, I can imagine that um, single people may feel their needs aren't being met uh, either. I, I mean, the, the best thing would be just to provide a, a worship place that family really wants to go to. Well, I think that in some parishes, there are they do reach out to young married couples before they before they have children, and um, you know do different kinds of activities and things. And uh, I mean, to me, I think that that's that's ideal. And not every parish is set up to do that or thinks about doing that. But that kind of thing is uh, is probably wonderful, and um, and the whole fact that the Pope has this whole big thing that he talks about marriage and gives such wonderful, loving advice that that is a progress that, for the Catholic Church, it, as far as I'm concerned. Well, Paul and Maureen, thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom, hard earned over <laughs> over 45 years of marriage. Not that uh, hard. <laughs> That's I, I imagine it's got to be very exciting to 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 win like that that dance at weddings, you know. And it, it's like, all right, get off the stage if you've been married one year. And oh no, we haven't we haven't you won haven't that. Won yet? Yeah. No. No. Oh man, I'm looking forward to the day. It's got it's coming soon. I bet. Uh, maybe we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests, uh, which is if you could canonize one person, uh, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? And I know you you said it's important to make decisions together as a couple, but we will allow you to each pick pick a, an individual if you if you so choose. Yeah, we both thought right away of Dorothy Day. Let's get that done. <laughs> second person, the, second time this week. <laughs> second time this week, so it's can, canonized Dorothy. Yeah, I, it yeah. does feel like it's on the way. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's exciting. Awesome. All right. Uh, if people, um, if someone's listening and they're like, I, I really want to go on a retreat like this, um, but I don't live in Brooklyn, like how, how would they go about finding something, a resource? Yeah. Like this? I mean, the National Engaged Encounter website, uh, engagedencounter.org, um, would give you schedules for weekends all around the country. And it's actually in other parts of the world, too, many parts of the world, many other countries. It's, it's, it's international. Yeah, and I will just say one more time: like, if you can do the retreat, do the retreat. If you're a couple listening right now, it's 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 so much better of a format than I think you're going to get more out of it. Um, Thanks, Zach. Yeah, uh, Paul Marine, thank you so much for for a preparing me for marriage, but also coming on the show today. Well, thanks so much. It was great. Thank you. Yes. I woke up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. 
And I wondered how you're always right It gets me Jesuitical is supported by the Hank Center at Loyola University, Chicago. On February 17th, Professor Jennifer Newsom-Martin is giving a talk called The Sacrament of the Possible, or Why I Became Catholic. All are welcome. For more information and to register, visit www.luc.edu ccih. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now it's time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach? Uh, a couple things to get through. First, we want to start out with uh, celebrating a new Patreon supporter. Thank you to Arthur Pasoko, who signed up this past week. Um, he's going to be entered into a raffle to get a copy of Jim Martin's new paperback edition of Learning to Pray. So we're going to be, we got a number of books in. Jim's going to come in and sign them. So, and we're going to be shipping those out uh, again to, we're going to do a random number generator and send those out to people who are in our Patreon community. Community. So if you you can uh, if you sign up by uh, let's say this I'm making this up as I go if you sign up by February 21st to to join the Patreon community you can be entered into that raffle too yes and to just get a taste of what is in that wonderful book we are now going to share a excerpt from the audiobook. Everyone can pray. Let me put that another way. If I can learn how to pray, then so can you. If you've never prayed before, or have had trouble praying, or think that you're praying wrong, that opening statement might seem hard to believe, or too good to be true. But it is true. Even though it took me a long time to understand this simple fact, prayer is for everyone. Until my late twenties, I prayed only infrequently and in the most basic way, asking God for help. Let me get an A on my test. Let me get a home run in Little League. Let me get a raise. There's nothing wrong with asking God for help. It's both human and natural. But until I joined the Jesuits, a Catholic religious order, at age 27, I didn't realize that prayer could be anything else. When I entered the Jesuit novitiate, however, I learned to pray in new ways. And what I discovered amazed me. There are so many ways, so many practices, so much flexibility. At the same time, I was encouraged to think about prayer in new ways. To imagine prayer as a personal relationship with God. To experience what happens when you pray. To understand that there is no one right way to pray to know that prayer is something that changes throughout your life, and to see how prayer can change your life. So I learned not only how to pray, but also how to understand prayer. It was a shock, 
almost as if someone had said, did you know there's another dimension besides the three dimensions you experience? In fact, that's not a bad analogy. Prayer is like seeing another dimension of life. My first reaction to this was, why didn't I know about this before? My second was, why don't more people know about this? The answer to the first question was obvious. I didn't grow up in a very religious family, so I had little religious training. Not having attended religious schools, Catholic or otherwise, meant that I had little exposure to prayer during my elementary school, junior high school, and high school years. My family attended church on Sundays, and I went to after-school religious education classes for a few years, but we didn't discuss God much at home. We said grace at meals on the big holidays, but didn't pray that much, at least together, on days other than those. Lest you get the wrong idea, my parents were good and moral people. Still, my family was like many families today. We talked about the spiritual life with neither frequency nor ease. Neither did anyone else I knew. So I didn't pray much, unless to ask for things. Even when I got to college, I didn't meet many overtly religious people, and those I knew, I didn't engage in conversations about prayer. The second question I asked myself was also easy to answer. Why don't more people know about this? Or more generally, why don't more people pray? To begin with, many do. But when I entered the Jesuits, I didn't know that. For millions of people, prayer is a regular part of life, as natural as breathing. They do it every day, sometimes several times a day. But for just as many people, prayer is foreign, daunting, even frightening. Many people then just don't pray. I'm not talking about agnostics or atheists. They don't pray for an obvious reason. They either doubt or don't believe in God's existence. I'm talking about believers who don't pray. So why don't some believers pray? Let's consider a few reasons. 10 Reasons Believers Don't Pray Number 1. They Weren't Taught Many people were never taught how to pray, not by their families, by teachers at school, or by leaders in their church. Consequently, prayer was never part of their world. So naturally, they don't do it. It's like not knowing how to swim because A. You've never had lessons. B. You didn't grow up near a pool or a body of water. And C. You don't know anyone who swims. You don't know how to swim not only because you've never learned, but also because the entire notion of doing it is foreign. Likewise, if you grow up in a prayer-free environment, it's not surprising that you wouldn't know much about prayer. That was Father James Martin reading from his book, Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone, which is out in paperback this week, and you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. 
Faith Formation, provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a review. And I want to say thank you to, I, there are a couple of people that listened to my plea um, to, to knock one of those lame reviews off of the off of the featured list. So thank you for listening and thank you for leaving new reviews. Yes. And Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Shirt studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Thank you.